0: Okay, so we are going to aim to conclude a 39-week study, which, of course, has taken us through the entire book of Revelation. And like I said many weeks ago now, Revelation is very much a neglected book, much like Genesis. And yet it begins with a blessing, Revelation chapter 1, and it ends with a curse, Revelation 22. So handle it with care. This will be my final wrap-up and a quick recap to just tie any loose ends up from the past 39 weeks. From chapter 1, verse 4, the text speaks about from he which is, being the son of God, and which was, being the son of man, and which is to come, being the son of David. There are, of course, three parts to our Lord's ministry, which, of course, pictures the triunity of the Lord. One of the uh, suggestions for the false prophet will be someone like Simon the Sorcerer, Acts chapter 8. Very religious, was able to hypnotise people, much like the uh, Pope of Rome continues to do. And back in Acts chapter 8, they were falling over themselves to get up close to him. The Holy Ghost is going to present the bride to Christ, while God the Father performs the marriage ceremony. So the Holy Spirit will present the bride, being the church, to Christ, While God the Father performs a marriage ceremony. Difficult to uh, comprehend I know. But very scriptural. Towards the end of Revelation. All the armies of the world. Picturing the world against the Lord. Nothing much has changed. Will march. And try and take Jerusalem. You're going to have a 200 million army. Perhaps demonic. perhaps, uh, Perhaps human. But more likely demonic. Only to be totally and forever destroyed and damned and by jesus alone you won't need your help to achieve such a thing and if you get a chance look at hebrews 1 3 zachariah 14 1 to 3 of course we will be uh witnessing such a such an event but we won't be involved ourselves he doesn't need our help to do anything going back to salvation uh second peter 2 4 Cross-reference that sometime, if you will, with Jude chapter 6. And 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6 speak about the great day. And the great day has got to be in reference to the great white throne judgment. And the souls and spirits are incombustible, which means they never burn up. And I will come back later and further discuss everlasting hell. From the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. The Lord Jesus Christ would pray the disciples' prayer. Not the Lord's prayer, but the disciples' prayer. And part of that prayer, which the Catholics have omitted, is thy kingdom come. And of course, thy kingdom come is in reference to the millennium. You're going to have David as a king ruling over the new earth. And if you get a chance, check Jeremiah 30, verse 9, Ezekiel 37, 24, Ezekiel 34, 24, Ezekiel 37.25, and see also Isaiah 24.23, Ezekiel 45.22. David reigns as a leader. David is very much in the driving seat. Those in the lake of fire spend forever without a literal body. They become, quote, disembodied spirits again. That came initially from Clarence Larkin. And I think he's probably right. And the late Peter Ruttman, who incidentally died this time last year, he's been dead for a year, hasn't it, flown, also believed that when a man dies without Christ, he becomes a worm-shaped object, a red maggot. In fact, if you go to the text from uh, Mark chapter 9, which the Lord cited three times from Isaiah 66, he speaks about the worm that never dies. And apparently... That term, the worm never dies, or the worm, is in reference to a red maggot. Pretty awful, I know. But for now, no cross, no crown. You're going to have to suffer for the Lord to get a crown when you arrive at the judgment seats of the Lord. There are going to be three parts to the resurrection. The first fruits for Old Testament saints, the harvest for the rapture, and the gleanings for the tribulation saints. By the end of the thousand-year reign, of the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll be more than twice as many people on earth than there is currently today, because more people will live longer, less people will die, and of course there'll be less sickness and famine. Hence the idea, the theory of space travel, because the earth will be so uh, packed, if you will, that it'll be necessary for the Lord to remove people from the new earth and put them into outer space. I don't necessarily hold to such a view. Again, that was Clarence Larkin's hypothesis, which Peter Ruckman also would pick up on. I won't dismiss it either. It's an interesting hypothesis. Ruckman says the following, quote, Unsaved people may receive the bodies of animals turning into worms. Hell, in its final state, will be nothing but a crawling pile of maggots and a lake of fire. Their father is a serpent, a red dragon. Man's sperm cells are shaped like a serpent. Close quote. And I would suggest you do further research if you want to really understand such a position. Magog was Noah's grandson. So, in messianic line, but like Solomon, is a type of an antichrist, or type of the antichrist. Gog is a rebel leader affiliated with magog during the millennium which shows me very clearly that during the thousand year reign of the lord jesus christ there will still be enough sin on the earth to destroy people for all of eternity so i will close it there or stop there as far as the uh, recap is concerned and ask you to open your bibles to revelation 22 and we ended in verse 9 last week And I want to read it again, if I may. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. This book, no doubt, in reference to Revelation. This book also in reference to the Holy Bible. And like I said last week, it would appear to me that Daniel is the angel that is speaking to John. In fact, when John spoke about the 24 elders back in uh, Revelation chapter 4, he probably saw Jacob's sons ruling and reigning, and he probably saw himself as well ruling and reigning. What a shock that must have been. And he thought to himself, what am I seeing here? Am I hallucinating? And of course he was not. He saw himself in glory, much like he would see the Lord, Moses and Elijah, concerning the transfiguration, of course. and the latter parts of verse 9, worship God. I can't stress that enough. Worship God. Yes, you can admire people. You can admire Bible teachers. You can admire evangelists. You can, inv- you can admire the good and the great, but you mustn't worship them. You mustn't put them on a pedestal. Christ would make it very clear from, I think it was John 17, how he once enjoyed uh intimacy with the father back in eternity and scripture also says how the lord father son and spirits will never share their glory with anyone else our god is a jealous god and that's why it's so important that none of us including myself ever elevate the good and the great above their positions of authority or where they should be you are told to give double honour to those that labour in the word. But don't go beyond that. Look at verse 10 please. And he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. It's going to start back in chapter 1. It's going to start with the Holy Ghost, referred to as the seven spirits before the throne of the Lord. Seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit and you got seven churches, which, of course, is the Lord's number seven. And those churches are going to represent the church for the entire period of the church on the earth. But here, don't seal the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Why? For the time is at hand. Christ would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. Behold, now. Is accepted time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. From our perspective, time is very important. From our perspective, we are very much binded, or bound, I should say, by time. I am bound by 45, 46-minute live Sunday morning stream. If I go over that 45, 46 minutes, it cuts me off. But in eternity, there's no such thing as time. Look at verse 11, please. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Two things. Number one, never cast your pearls before swine. If you do any kind of street work, if you are any kind of soul winner, you don't need to go over the same ground with the same people time after time. Number two, you've got... Those that are unjust, like unsaved, let him or her remain as they are. Because the gospel is precious, the gospel is glorious. We don't want to, like I say, cast our pearls before swine. Colon, and he that is righteous, like he that is saved, let him be righteous still. Don't compromise, stand your ground if you can. Colon again, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. Why? Well... You want to get a full reward, the judgment seats of the Lord, of course. Or if you find yourself saved in the tribulation, Matthew 24, you want to meet the king on good terms, Matthew 25. Or if you get saved during the millennium and die, and find yourself at the great white throne judgment as a saved man or a saved woman, you want to be welcomed in open arms, with open arms. You want to meet the king, like I say, on good grounds look at verse 12 please and behold i come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be that is a timeless piece of scripture meaning this number one it can refer to the church age like the judgment seats of christ number two it can refer to the end of the tribulation matthew 24 going into matthew 25 number three it can refer to the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. You see, three parts of scripture, Father, Son, and Spirit. Old Testament written in uh, Hebrew and Aramaic, New Testament written in Greek. Let's keep reading on, please. Look at verse 13 from Revelation 22. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's saying this, in essence, that outside of me... No one or nothing means a thing. And people hate that. I saw a clip online a few days ago of a woman in Germany, I think it was, going into an Anglican cathedral. It was an interfaith event. And you had the Lutherans there. You had the Muslims there and others. And it was a so-called interfaith service. And she stormed into this cathedral. And she was screaming at them, glorifying Jesus, holding up his name, it was great to watch and they frog marched her out i saw the pope i think it was i think he arrived in turkey this past week or maybe egypt i'm not sure but i saw the pope arrive somewhere in the middle east and he went to this mosque and he met one of the uh, imams one of their so-called holy men cuddles and kisses and i thought oh that scripture from second john which speaks about not even shaking their hands of those that come to you with a doctrine which opposes the doctrine of Christ. And he was all over this guy like a rash. It was awful to see. But of course, if you look at their catechism, which was written by Ratzinger in 1994, he makes it very clear that Muslims uh, can go to heaven without faith in Christ. He makes it very clear that Jews can go to heaven without Christ. I'm sorry, but that is incorrect. If you have the sun, you have life. If you haven't got the sun, you don't have life. I am Alpha and Omega. That's the beginning and end of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. That's quite a statement. The first and the last. It all begins with Christ. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. The Lord said, let there be light. That's a type of Christ. Christ lights every man that comes into the world. You're going to have a light in New Jerusalem, which will be so bright that the nations on the new earth will have to come and pay homage to the Lord. We also know from Isaiah that the sun is going to be seven times brighter, seven times more powerful during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's all about him. It's not about a church. It's not about a minister or a ministry. It's all about Christ. Read Acts of the Apostles very carefully. It says they preached Jesus here. They preached Jesus there. They preached Jesus to this person. They preached Jesus to that person. You get the idea. Look at 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter in through the gates into the city. This is a somewhat tricky passage. Let's read it again. Blessed are they that do his commandments. That they may have right to to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. This will be aimed doctrinally at those born during the new earth, being the millennial reign of course, in order to somehow receive everlasting life. Grace will be disposed via a tree. To go beyond that is somewhat difficult. Or we could look at it from another perspective. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Happy are those that appropriate his atonement. Happy are they that do his commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter in through the gates into the city. Keep your hand there. And turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter chapter 5. Look at verse 3 please. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. You get saved. Go back to Revelation uh, 22 please. You fall in love with the Lord. You get saved. You fall in love with the scripture. You get saved. You are very much on cloud nine. And you are taking all the time that you can. You're making time available for the Lord and his word. And if you could die for him. You would. Because you love him so much. 22, 14, one more time, and I'll move on. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Now, for the church age, we keep his commandments because we are saved and because we love him. Back in the Gospel of John, Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. We keep his commandments, therefore, because we are saved, not to be saved. We keep his commandments because we are saved, not in order to stay saved. And I am Not just speaking about the Ten Commandments, but I'm also speaking about the law of Christ. That they may have right to the tree of life. Now, we don't get saved today by eating of any tree anywhere on the face of the earth. Because there isn't a tree anywhere on the face of the earth that we could eat from that would save us. This is clearly in reference to those living on the new earth. It has nothing to do with anyone living today. So you can spiritualize it if you want and say that Christ is a type of tree, which is fine. Go back to uh, John 15. Also think about that piece of scripture from uh, Matthew chapter 3, where John the Baptist says how the Lord will cut down the tree, which doesn't bear fruit. And you might have grounds to take such a view. Or one other scripture which comes to mind, uh, Romans chapter 11, speaks about the root being holy, the root being Jewish and with the church, are somehow grafted into such a root and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now, we don't need to go through any gates into the city concerning New Jerusalem because we are already in New Jerusalem. In fact, if you think of that scripture from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, it says how we are already reigning with the Lord. We are already ruling with the Lord in a spiritual sense, of course. So clearly this isn't in reference to those of us living in the church age today. Not doctrinally, but like I've been saying over the last uh, 39 weeks, we can spiritualize such a passage and apply it to those living on the earth during the thousand year reign of Christ. Also one quick footnote, it's still going to be grace. Grace will be dispensed via a tree. No works involved. And it's so important that I continue to drive that point home. 15 for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now we get to the subject of what about hell? Where does hell go once the earth has been burnt up? You've got two views on this. Larkin again suggests this, that when the Lord returns, the earth that we currently live in won't be completely destroyed, but it will be Redesigned, it will be remodeled, it will shrink because the islands will flee away. People will obviously die as a result of their sin against God. But the earth itself, this beautiful earth which our Lord was conceived in and died in, will remain. So hell remains in the earth because it's a throwback to Calvary, it's a throwback to the Lord giving the tree to Adam and Eve back at creation. And therefore, he's not going to completely destroy the earth. The second view held by other premillennial teachers is that this earth is completely destroyed, just burnt up like a crisp. And therefore, the question gets asked, what about hell? Because hell, as we know, is currently in the earth. Hell is under our feet. Where does hell go? We know that hell doesn't burn up. We know that those in hell are going to live forever because heaven is eternal. And therefore, hell is also eternal. Well, it could just be. And this is just my theory, but it could just be that the Lord will take those that are currently in the earth, deep in the earth, and put them somewhere else. I don't know. We're not told explicitly what happens. But 2215 is a warning once again that as we are rejoicing and worshipping and praising the Lord, you've got people outside, verse 15, like dogs, which historically, from John's perspective, would have been Gentiles. Because Jews have always seen Gentiles as dogs. Like Muslims see dogs, your pet dog, unclean. Jews would see Gentiles as unclean. In fact, even the Jews spoke about themselves as being dogs. Many reference uh, back in the Old Testament to prophets speaking to the people and kings speaking to the people and referring to such as dogs. It's a crude description. You might say something like this. He's a dirty dog. He's a filthy dog. Or she's somewhat of a dog. It's not nice to say. And therefore, you've got people like dogs, animals, sorcerers, those that go to clairvoyance, those that do the tarot cards, those that see clairvoyance, those that commune with the dead, like uh, Eleanor Roosevelt would do, like Hillary Clinton would do, like uh, Sir Conan Doyle would do, like so many people that haven't got time to share them all with you this morning, would do. Many people back during the last century would spend a lot of time contacting the dead. In fact, we are told, as a quick footnote, that Hillary Clinton, on many occasions during her time in the White House, would call on the dead, would commune with the dead. And in fact, one account I read last year said that she was able to contact John F. Kennedy. And you wonder what he told her. Of course, it wasn't John F. Kennedy. It was an unclean spirit, dangerous stuff. Whoremongers, pretty clear in reference to men and women. Pornographers, so on and so forth. Murderers, like serial murderers, and idolaters—those that worship anyone or anything outside of the Triune God—and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now, Christians sin. Christians fail. Christians are weak. There's that scripture back in the gospel. I think it's the gospel of uh, Luke, chapter 5 for memory. When uh, Peter sees the Lord, and the Lord has given Peter a lot of fish. Peter has been out all night fishing. Peter was a professional uh, commercial fisherman. He knew his trade inside out, and he was unable to get any fish. And the Lord arrives and just clicks his finger, like, let there be light, like... uh, Be free of an unclean spirit, like open your eyes and see. I mean, that's power. You try and get Muhammad to do that. You try and get the Pope to do that or Mary to do that. It's impossible. And therefore, Peter knew straight away that he was in the presence of holiness. And he said to the Lord, depart from me, Lord. I'm an unclean man. In fact, what would uh, Isaiah say? I'm a man of unclean lips. So we know our failures. We know that we're no good. And yet, we are saved by the grace of God. If we could be saved any other way, it would be, of course, great, but it's not possible. We have to hold to grace. Whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So, it's aimed at unsaved people. It's aimed at those that were never saved to begin with, like that crowd from Matthew 7 21 to 23. Save people that lie, save people that. Fall into the trap of murder, or whoremongery, or idolatry, or sorcery, and yes, it's possible will be judged at the judgment seat of the Lord. And I think, when say people arrive at the judgment seat of the Lord, say people that got into the flesh, say people that didn't care that they were in the flesh, say people that didn't repent, I think they are the crowd spoken of from Luke chapter twelve. And I do believe, and I will say this, that I think that the the Lord is going to whip people, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. And he will whip people, saved of course, because they have rebelled against him. Like a parent, if he's any good or if she's any good, will give a child a good hiding once in a while. Not to beat the child black and blue, you understand, but a bit of discipline. And that's spoken of back in Proverbs 16. I Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I'm the roots and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Churches now returns. I think it was chapter 322 for memory, which is the last explicit reference to the church. Revelation chapter 4, come up hither. Come up here. And away we go. But here, John has now switched back to the church. Churches. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel, probably Daniel, to testify unto you these things in the churches. So Daniel, being a Jew, Daniel, being a prophet, is able to relate to John, being a Jew, being a prophet. Daniel and Revelation go hand in hand. Leviticus and Hebrews go hand in hand. The Pauline Epistles and the Gospel of John go hand in hand. If you are a new Christian, start reading John's Gospel. If you are a new Christian, start looking at the Pauline Epistles. In that order. I am the roots and the offspring of David, very messianic, and the bright and morning star. We can't survive on planet Earth without the sun. And I mean S-U-N, because the sun is a star. We can't survive on planet Earth without the moon, because the moon is also a star. Not like every other star, of course, but they are referred to as stars. As saved people living on the earth, we can't survive without the sun, S-O-N. In fact, you were told from John 15 to abide in the vine. You were told from John 15 that you can do nothing unless you abide in the vine. So 16 is interesting. There are two parts to verse 16. You've got the messianic slant, which the Jews would have picked up back in the first century and even today. And also the church. So much material in Revelation. It's just fascinating Let's keep reading on, please. 2217. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and at him that heareth say come. And at him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I saw a clip online, I think it was yesterday, of somebody putting a expose out concerning a well-known street preacher. I shan't name him. I will say that I do know the street preacher. I've met him. And it was interesting to watch. And I think that the man who made this video against this very well-known street preacher, very much a household name, was probably a Calvinist. Because during the critique that I watched of this well-known street preacher, he made a remark, this street preacher. And he said something along the lines of, save yourselves. I couldn't quite hear what he was saying. It was a busy uh, intercession that he was standing on. And the text flashed on the screen. That's a false gospel. You can't save yourself. Well, hold on. Don't get carried away. What would uh, Peter say back in Acts chapter 2? Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What would he say in one of his epistles? Make your calling and election sure. What would uh, Paul say? Uh, Check yourself out. Make sure you're in the faith. Of course, we know we can't save ourselves, but we are expected to believe on the Lord in order to be saved. He won't do that for you. He has dispensed repentance. Acts five, Acts chapter eleven. He's drawn all men unto himself. Uh, John six, John twelve. He hasn't yet imputed the world of their sins, second Corinthians chapter five. And finally, he calls on you to be reconciled to him, the latter part of Second Corinthians chapter five, because now is the appointed time, behold, now is a day of salvation. So Don't be overly shocked if you come across these so-called expose videos somehow being guilty of preaching another gospel. We know we can't save ourselves. We know we're saved by grace. And don't give me that scripture from uh, Philippians, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The next verse makes it very clear. It is the Lord that works in you to bring it to completion. And also the first chapter from Philippians makes it very clear that He which has begun a good work in you will complete it. But I don't want to go off script any further. 17 again. And the spirits and the bride say, come. So you sit down with the Calvinist and you say, what about salvation? Do you preach the gospel on the streets? And most don't. And they say, well, the Lord has chosen those from eternity past. So he doesn't need you to go out and preach the gospel. Well, here you've got the spirits and the church calling on sinners to be saved, which kind of undermines Calvinism. If they have been chosen from the beginning of the world, or even before the creation of the world. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So the church and the spirit work hand in hand. I go onto the streets, I give out tracts, I speak to people, and I say this, that if you believe on him, if you trust in him, you are saved. The Spirit then convicts that person of his or her sins. If that person gets saved, glory to God. I don't take any credit for that, although the Lord allows people like myself to get a crown at the judgment seat should someone get saved as a result of my preaching. But the view that the Calvinists put forward is flawed. Spirit and bride say come. There's an invitation to unsaved people to be saved. And let him... For her, that is a thirst come. You've got to be hungry for the Lord. You've got to want to be filled in a spiritual sense, like the lady back in John chapter 4 wanted to be filled. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Did you get that? Freely. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. And that term whosoever means whosoever. It means anyone, anywhere, at any time, If they want to be saved, can be saved. That is precious. That is something which you won't find in any other system on the face of the earth. Every other religious system on the face of the earth teaches a works and faith system. The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Sikhs and others are atoning for their own sins. They are atoning for their grandparents' sins, their ancestors' sins. And they are like the uh, hamster on the wheel, That goes around and around and around and around. And they are hoping that they are good enough to appease their God or gods. And they are also hoping that they are good enough to pray or intercede on behalf of their ancestors, like the Catholics, concerning their dead relatives. So, 17, one last time, and I move on, makes it very clear that anyone who is saved, man or woman, can share the gospel, must share the gospel. And should anyone get saved as a result of a man or woman sharing the gospel, you are going to be glorified, rewarded at the judgment seats of the Lord. But ultimately, according to Luke 15, Almighty God is glorified. And also from Luke 15, you have the angels in heaven, perhaps seraphims, perhaps cherubims, which behold our Father's face every time a sinner repents. But look at verse 18. From the book of life, loss or removal from the holy city, loss or removal from the things written in this book. So I sat down maybe two weeks ago planning how to best approach these two verses, and I'll say this to you. Never mind many saying to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Never mind if we sin willfully, there's no more sacrifice for sins. Never mind this or that. This is the most terrifying scripture. In the entire Bible. For I testify unto every man or woman. That heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Concerning revelation. First and foremost. But keep in mind that warning back in Deuteronomy. Keep in mind that warning back in Proverbs. If any man or woman. Shall add unto these things. Like the written text. God shall add unto him or her. The plagues that are written in this book. Pretty self-explanatory. You add to the scripture, you subtract from the scripture, you are going to be plagued like Pharaoh would be plagued back in Exodus. And verse 19, if any man or woman shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy in the context revelation, but keep my earlier statement concerning uh, Deuteronomy in mind and Proverbs, God shall take away his part out of of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So, the warning has been made very clear. If you believe on the sun, you are saved. If you reject the sun, you are lost. You want to go on holiday? You get your passport up to date. You want to fly overseas? You get travel insurance. You want to drive a car? You tax it and insure it. You say, well... Maybe I won't do that. Well, fine. You will be stopped by the police or stopped at the airport and you will be refused permission to board the plane. But here it's so much more serious. Any man or woman, 19, that adds to the scripture or takes from the scripture like the Apocrypha, for example, is going to have their name removed out of the book of life. That's your salvation, my friends. I can't find any other way around such a passage and out of the holy city that's your millennial reign and from the things which are written in this book so last week i asked our friends in spain to translate from spanish to english these verses to see how such a text would translate and it's the same as the king james i asked our friends in singapore to translate from chinese to english from indonesian to English. It's the same. In fact, the Indonesian to English says, You will be wiped out of the book of life. So I will say this the warning has been made, the warning has been given to those bright scholars, those PhDs, those bright men and women that have put the NIV out or the NASV out, or even the King James translators who put the Apocrypha into the Holy Bible and it would fall to Charles Spurgeon 200 years later to put pressure on the King James to have such non-scriptural books removed that they risk potentially having the names removed from the Book of Life, no thousand year reign with the Lord for them, and also from the things which are written in this book. Last week I was doing some street work and a lady walked over to me and she said to me, you're that ex-Catholics guy, aren't you? And I said yes, and I thought, is she a Catholic? I thought she was, she wasn't. She is an ex-Calvinist, now I think charismatic, and she told me the church that she attends, and it is a charismatic church. And she had some questions for me about tongues, which I was able to answer for her. And then I said to her, which Bible do you use? And she said to me, well, I use the NIV, because English isn't my first language. I think she was South African, or perhaps Dutch. No, she was South African. And I said, fair enough. And we started to discuss Bible translations. And I said to her, but you do know, don't you, that the NIV has taken out thousands of words? And she said yes. And she was aware that I was a King James Bible believer. And I tried to make the case to her that she wants to go back to the King James. She must go back to the King James. Now, I'm not going to stand in this morning and suggest that an average man or woman who doesn't use the King James is lost. I won't say that, but I will say this, that if you are a scholar, if you are a PhD, man or woman, and you have messed with the King James Bible, if you have taken words out of the King James Bible, or put words into the King James Bible, and let's be honest, they've all done it. Schofield did it. Larkin did it. MacArthur is probably the worst for messing with the scripture, Jacob Prash will look at the King James Bible and mess it all up. I can't think of any street preacher. I can't think of any man or God, any Bible teacher, apart from maybe one or two, that has never touched the King James Bible. Or let's go beyond the King James. How about any Bible? MacArthur, you give him an NIV. You give him the ESV. He corrects it. Or... There was a guy some years ago who, whose name escapes me, who was part of the NASV Translation Committee. And he was part of that project to put the New American uh, Standard Version out into the public domain. And surprise, surprise, towards the end of his life, he repented. And he went on record and said, May God forgive me for what I've done. So I don't know what happens to such a person if they repent. I know what First John tells us, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And I hope that such a text will be applicable to that man who did the NASV. But I'll tell you something. Most of the guys who correct the King James are not sorry for correcting the King James. Larkin wasn't sorry. Schofield wasn't sorry. Prash isn't sorry. James White isn't sorry. John MacArthur isn't sorry. John Piper isn't sorry. Charles Stanley isn't sorry. J. Vernon McGee wasn't sorry. So... It's not looking good for those people. 18, 19, one more time and I move on. For I testify, I warn every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man or woman should add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Clear enough? And if any man or woman shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, like this piece of scripture is an unfortunate translation. It should read such and such. You've heard it many times, and now I have. God and God alone shall take away his part out of the book of life. Now, if that is in reference to the Lamb's book of life, you're in trouble. If that is in reference to just the book of life, then you're still in trouble. Because what that will do, or what this means in essence, is you'll be wiped out like you never lived to begin with. Never mind the fleshly stuff like adultery, fornication... That's pretty serious, and if you're saved, you'll be dealt with that to the judgment seat. This is far more serious. This scripture, as far as I am concerned, is the most terrifying in the entire Bible. And out of the holy city, thousand year reign, and from the things which are written in this book. Do with it as you will. 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come back For your church. I've been saved 15 years. And I'm ready right now. Even so come Lord Jesus. When was the last time you heard a priest. In the church of Rome. Or the church of England. Say such a thing. All they ever do is speak about Holy Mother Church. All they ever do is speak about their church. 21 and I will close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you all. Amen. That's the perfect way. To complete. A perfect book right at the end of the entire Bible. The grace like God's righteousness at Christ's expense of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all if you are saved. Amen. Meaning let it be. May it be. And I will leave it there and wish you all every blessing and happiness in the name of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.